Dotnet Rocks episode 895 with guest Chris Riley. Recorded live Friday, July 26th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. And by Franklins.net, makers of GesturePack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at GesturePak.com. And by Diatom, developers of the .NET Rocks mobile app, available now for Windows Phone, iPhone, and Android phones. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Woo woo! Yeah, <laughs> I'm psyched to be back in the studio recording. You remember we used to talk about Friday cars, like you'd ever buy a car that was built on a Friday. Yeah, right. Now it's fr- we're recording on a Friday. Yeah. So is these, are these Friday shows? I'm glad because you know Friday is the best time to record because you know we're we've had a good week. Yep. You know we can get a little silly. Yeah, loosen up, have some fun, you know, software's fun. It's too early in the day to start drinking, but, you know, it's the it's the attitude. Yes, it's a style thing. All right, man, let's start with uh, Better Know Framework. Awesome. This is a pretty cool one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I started working with Azure in earnest uh, this month. Indeed. Yeah, I've, you know, we've used some of the services of Azure, but I just wanted to exercise as much of it as I could. Well, and and the main thing is you're pushing out the Azure websites now, right? Like you're splitting each of, and there's a lot of POP sites. You're splitting them all into their own little Azure website. That's right. We're all going to Azure websites. Then we'll do the blob storage and all of that stuff. But but I also wanted to work on a a worker role. And I actually needed this because I wrote a very cool app that um, uses my MIDI guitar setup. And I know, all right, so let me just back up a little bit. Yeah. Here's what the app does. I play my guitar and you on the web go to a website and you see a fingerboard and you maybe here, maybe we're on Skype or something, you can see my fingers, but this app comes up and you can see a fingerboard. And when I play, you see where on the fingerboard my fingers are held down. So if I'm playing a chord, you see where you know, you see little red dots over the frets nice. where my fingers are. And it also tells you in plain English what chord I'm playing. So C major seventh, D seventh, A minor seven, flat nine, whatever it is, it tells you in plain English there. So I wrote the code to do that. And I'm hooking it up through an Azure worker role that is using TCP because, you know, I'm sockets guy. Because you're a sockets boy. Yeah. yeah. So it has an arbitrary port number, right? Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to send four bytes. That's it. The four bytes are the MIDI note number, which I get from my MIDI guitar, yep. right? The string, which one of six, so that's also a byte. Yep. And the fret number, and then whether it's on or off. Okay. So four bytes. And I know I could get it down smaller, but come on, four bytes. Give me a break. It's easy. So... What I do is I set up a little socket uh, server and I send a thing from my, you know, guitar or whatever. And then everybody else who's connected, I broadcast those bytes to, essentially. So I have these uh, TCP sockets, right? 
Mm -hmm. So really, I wanted to figure out how to do this in an Azure worker role, an external facing Azure worker role. So I and I scoured the web to try to find the right example. And here's how it goes. Go to tinyurl.com slash Azure TCP. And the important thing in this article, this article, by the way, is a blog post from Martin Baliau. Baliau. I don't know how to say your name, Martin. I'm sorry if I'm butchering it. He's Belgian. Yeah. But uh, basically, it's a little echo service that has this menu that you connect with Telnet, right? And you menu, and it dis- you can display the date or the time or any of that stuff and exit. So it's like a little BBS kind of thing. It's very yep. cool. Here's the takeaway. In Visual Studio, you configure the endpoint. Um, just in the, in the settings, if you click uh, or right-click and get the properties of your worker, your actual worker role, and he calls it Echo Worker. There's an endpoints thing there, and you basically pick the TCP port number that you want, but you name it, and he names it Echo Endpoint. And then your TCP listener in the code, instead of creating an endpoint from an IP address and a port, which is kind of silly if you're in Azure because you don't know what server you're on. Mm-hmm. You know what the port is, but you don't really know what your IP address is, and you shouldn't know. So... When you create your TCP listener, you create it from role environment dot current role instance dot instance endpoints, which is an array uh, or a list, and you pass in the uh, the name in quotes of your endpoint dot IP endpoint, and so there it is. You you just pull out that endpoint from that data, and you can start listening to it. Cool. Yeah. So it's a very and, and this was like the only thing that I could find. That, that actually worked and was relevant to what I was trying to do. So it's a, it's a very simple piece of code, and it exercises the whole worker role thing, whether you're doing sockets or not, uh, you know, or just using HTTP or whatever. It's, it's, a, it's a really good exercise to do. Awesome. Know it, learn it, love it. Tinyurl.com slash Azure TCP. Know it, learn it, love it. And we should mention the uh, Azure MSDN activation sweepstakes while we're at it. Oh, geez. Yeah, we are. This is so cool. Not not just because you could win an Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car, which you can. And we like giving away software and, and, <laughs> and tickets to, to conferences and CDs and things. But how about winning a car? So the story is, if you're an MSDN subscriber, you already have Windows Azure credits free. Right. You get them every month. I think you get $150 if you've got an MSDN Ultimate license. Right. And if you're playing around with dev test or just a, a personal website or something, that's a lot. Yeah, it's tons. You'll yeah. never use it up. Right. So here's all you do. You, you just go to aka.ms slash Azure Rocks. Oh, by the way, you don't need a credit card anymore. Yep. You used to have to use a credit card, even if it was a free credit. You don't need to do that. Just yeah. enter your MSD and your Microsoft ID, and you're all set. And if you do it before September 30th, you're automatically entered to win a 2013 Aston Martin V8 Vantage sports car. Wouldn't that be cool on the streets of Chicago? That <laughs> would be awesome. Just saying. <laughs> so, aka.ms slash Azure Rocks. That lets them know you heard it on .NET Rocks. Get yourself activated and take advantage of something you've already got. You got You're it. Just not using it. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. All right, Richard, who's talking to us? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 883, and that's the one we did at NDC with Jez Humble mm-hmm. on continuous delivery. And uh, this comment's from Joel Lyons, who says... Uh, We've been adopting principles of continuous integration for a few months now with an eye towards continuous delivery. 
we've simplified our branching scheme to a trunk with a new branch created at the end of each month as a release candidate. Developers check into the trunk daily after a mandatory peer review. We're slowly building up a suite of automated tests that will run before the check-in is accepted. Trunk gets built nightly so QA can test yesterday's changes. The release candidate branches are created monthly, like a train leaving the station, as Scott Goo would put it. <laughs> The release candidate branches get some additional soak time in QA and then are given out to a few customers before broad deployment, which is something we used to do at Strangely all the time. Mm. We had a few customers that were real, like, they wanted the latest bits all the time. They were willing to take a risk with beta bits. Right. So you had these sort of insider customers so that these early candidates could go to them only. So I love that, that Joel's doing this. Yeah. Uh, since the release candidates are in a branch, we can patch them in isolation and then merge or adapt the changes in the trunk. So and again, if you're going to experiment with features with certain key customers, you can spend time with that and then eventually merge back into the trunk. Uh, we still have some kinks to work out, but having the developers check into a single trunk has been interesting. It raises the bar, so to speak. It encourages smaller, concise changes, which has many benefits. Right. If a change doesn't work, doesn't integrate well, we find out quickly. Yeah. And that's the big thing that I'm finding as we're getting this model more is you're doing your integration testing before you're doing your UI. Like you're not showing anybody the feature. You're integrating those core bits in in advance so you know that it works. Just don't go crazy. Otherwise, you're going to have a lot of people overwhelmed with lots of drops and they're, yeah. they're going to bow out. So. Well, we have, we, and I think the big thing here, and I, I think it's going to tie in nicely to our show today, is just that you need this automation to be able to test routinely as you go. Like it's got to be fast, fast, fast. Right. But Joel goes on to say... Uh, we're increasing our collaboration. It demands the best of all of us. And because it does, the weaknesses in our team and code and processes have quickly come to light, which has allowed us to address them and improve. So it's a side effect of doing this is that literally making sure everything really is working and we're doing things the right way. Yeah. So I think that's really cool, Joel. Thanks for sharing that story with us. And it, we really enjoyed talking to Jez. We got lots of great feedback about that. We've got to bring that guy back. He's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, so thank you, sir. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iPhone, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those great apps were made by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app, too. Absolutely. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have hundreds of hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They're now releasing 30 to 40 new courses every month, and they offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much everything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including many courses on Windows Azure. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. With that, let me introduce Chris Riley. Chris is the technology evangelist at CloudShare, a cloud service built specifically for development and testing. During his 14 years in high tech, he has spent a lot of time helping companies actualize the technologies that are available. Chris specializes in software as a service, product management, marketing, and business development, as well as taking abstract technology to end-user reality. He's a regular author and speaker in the areas of SharePoint, enterprise content collaboration, information architecture, and, of course, the cloud. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, you guys stole my joke about the uh, – well, I was going to make a joke about the free car, but um, – <laughs> 
you guys already took that away. Oh, from well, me. what was your That's joke? Because that would be cool. <laughs> I don't. I was still working on it, so it's it's fine. I, I even had the uh, article up and and ready to go about uh, use Azure get a car. Oh, nice. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and we spoiled everything. Yeah. So how long have you been at CloudShare? Uh, funny story. Actually, I I uh, this is my second second uh, tour with CloudShare. I I, uh, I was at CloudShare for about two years, um, and I left for nine months. Couldn't stand it, and came came quickly back, screaming back, um, just because the whole time I was gone, I was I was using the product, um, and I I rather be a part of the product than than the consumer of it. So I decided, what better way than to represent our our users? Yeah. Okay. And so. Tell us just briefly about what CloudShare does. I know we don't want it to turn into an infomercial, but we got to know what you what you guys do. Right, and it relates to this topic, and and um, I also want to keep it very very neutral. But we are a a cloud, a public cloud service provider built specifically for dev test. Um, so infrastructure as a service plus SaaS, basically. All right, great. And so uh, I see on the website that you have a Visual Studio icon. Does that mean that you seamlessly integrate into Visual Studio? Seamlessly, yes. Uh, just yesterday, we launched our plugin to Visual Studio. And no magic there. It's uh, leveraging our REST API. allows you to control your CloudShare environments from directly without ever leaving Visual Studio. Okay. So what's a, what's a typical scenario for, for testing? You have... Lots of machines that, like in a web farm, that are hitting your your site in in, in your testing stage, that kind of testing or uh, soup to nuts. We see we see a range, and I think that that comes to you know part of the the thing that I I'd like to highlight for for the users out there is that it's. It's always more complex than you want it to be. And we see a range of scenarios from multi-tier applications to um, even even Win32 applications, mm. uh, still very common in large organizations, um, to we need to test a new version of application XYZ, make sure it doesn't break our infrastructure. Let's see what happens in a place um, that's safe and the cloud is safe. Mm. And the reason the cloud's safe is is because it's uh, it's what I like to call fail fast. It doesn't matter if you break it; you can start over. Uh, it's not going to bring down your entire pr- production environment. So, right. um, everything from web application testing to client server testing to just straight IT uh, application testing. Do you leave your web tests up even after deployment? Is that a good idea? <laughs> uh, I think that also gets to one of your recent uh, conversations, and uh, I don't want to mislead and, and indicate that I'm I'm at all the best web developer in the world. But I is it best practice? Probably not today. Is it is it nice? I, I think that's the goal. Um, and in recent app dev that I've been working with, and and you even hear this from the Bing team, right? They they actually deploy code and then test, right? Um, and I think that's really cool. And it and it all comes down to this 
um, methodology of doing things in bite size, but satisfying the extremely demanding user base, which, you know, even at CloudShare, we know that our users want to see new things. And, and the only way to really do that is to, um, with the continuous delivery. And it, yeah, it goes back to my um, the comment from Joel there about uh, getting into continuous delivery in the show we did around Jez Humble as well. So, because one of the things I certainly ran into working in projects like Strange Loop was that our test suite grew to the point where it took hours to run. Yeah. And it was hard for us to justify the cost to buy enough machines just for testing. It would sit, they would sit there the rest of the time. So, I, I kind of like this idea of pushing the test work into the cloud. No matter what product you're using, but right. can you take the all of these tests we've got and split them up amongst many instances of machines in the cloud and run them simultaneously so that they run really fast? Right. And it's not only the cost of running the test, it's, it's the cost of setting up the test. Um, I've yet to run into a scenario where, and you, you asked me earlier, what, what is a typical scenario? There is no typical scenario. Really, I mean, and and we're all we're all um, you know nerds at heart, and and we all like to do our own thing and mess around with scripts and so forth. But eventually, you realize that a big chunk of the developer's time is spent on just thinking about these scripts, thinking about the infrastructure behind the scripts, and really, what you want your developers doing is you want them coding, you want them working on the backlog. You don't want them thinking about um, or dealing with requests from the QA team to modify this just to do the testing. Uh, and that's the that's the element that, at least at CloudShare, we've seen is underestimated. Um, we all like to write PowerShell scripts, but should we be writing them? Should we be spending the time on orchestration of a multi-tier application? Should we be spending time on infrastructure as a service? And I, I would say the the more you can do to prevent developers from wasting time there, the better. Yeah, I guess it's a point that um, we don't instrument ourselves all that well, do we? Like how many hours are you actually spending writing new code versus dealing with the infrastructure of getting that code out into the world? Right. You know, one of the benefits of having tests on site is being able to just walk up to the machine and see what's going on and interacting with all of our stuff here locally in the network. Is there an added uh, challenge to, you know, communicating with us who are not in the cloud uh, to see what the results of these tests are and to just sort of get some real-time uh, uh, metrics from it? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And, and there shouldn't be, I mean, dev test in the cloud should, should smell, feel like having the infrastructure right there next to you. Obviously you have the caveat of, uh, uh, internet connectivity and so forth. But, um, from the point of uh, having, uh, RDP connectivity to a box where, you know, there's a bug. Hmm. Um, and, and something you need to inspect, it shouldn't matter whether that machine is under your desk, which by the way, <laughs> the amount of, um, uh, underground it boxes underneath developers desks is still phenomenal. And it's staggering to me that this, this paradigm still exists. Uh, and I, I think it exists for the reason of nothing more than developers want control. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really think. 
it's a convenience factor. Now you 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 have those developers out there that will absolutely insist in in doing the way they've always done it. But I think most developers get excited about writing features in coding um, and not spending time on that infrastructure. And everybody hates dealing with bugs. I mean, it's kind of like right. <laughs> when there's a bug, it's kind of like a slap in the face. You know, oh, I did something wrong. Okay, right. I'll fix it. Um, so if you could have access to a VM, whether it's in the cloud uh, or on-prem, where you can actually see what's going on, you're going to spend less time. It's a lot more obvious than than uh, some ticket in some logging system, you know. Is RDP to a VM the preferred way to go about it, or are there testing tools that work simply, you know, just uh, with a faceless interface that we have, you know, maybe REST access to? Right. Yeah. I mean, there 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 are a ton, um, a ton of, especially in the area of mobile app dev and um, web dev. But in the area of which you see a huge uptick in today, which is building BI applications, um, dare I use the word big data, but um, these types of internal applications, at least we're seeing um, there's a big swing that way. And testing these types of applications is not just testing one's code, it's testing um, integrations and configurations of SQL reporting services with X. Um, where you do need the VM, so I guess it. I guess ultimately it does come down to the type of application you're developing. In the case of, in the case of web app dev, um, what you're trying to do is yes. While infrastructure is not a big concern, what you're trying to do is limit the amount of variables that could be that could occur with configuration. Yeah. You you mentioned that uh, several times. That setup is really where people get uh, frustrated, right? And and in in web app dev, I mean, let's say you have a multi tier web application. You know, there's infrastructure underneath running this thing. And are you sure that that the VMs are that one VM didn't accidentally get a patch that the other VM did? You know, um, in the previous talk with. Corey, where he was talking about deploying uh, in Azure a QA and a staging and and so forth, the infrastructure for that yeah. in a scripted um, fashion. You know, my my first question is: Are you sure that the underlying VMs are are identical? Because um, we know what kind of strange variables can come, uh, especially with the .NET framework if one one box has a patch and the other one doesn't. And those are the most frustrating bugs to chase down. So um, what I think a developer would like to see, and, and they should be able to, is basically treat virtual machines as documents. You know, um, <laughs> uh, let's say the dev test in the cloud is, is something like Yammer plus... Uh, SkyDrive, but for developers, it's it's a thing that uh, allows you to uh, both collaborate with your team, but also forget about the infrastructure entirely and kind of just treat these VMs as as documents where you don't have to think about infrastructure. Do you think that um, going into the cloud for testing is can be a problem with if we have legacy systems that might need to be modified in order to be tested well 
that raises two points for me. One is the hybrid scenario, yeah, um, where the integrations are are somehow pulling uh, data from um, an on-prem database that you you just wouldn't even want to move, right? Because of it's so legacy, yeah. and then. You also have the fact of uh, you should be able to get your VM. I mean, if you have an on-premise instance of Platform X, you should be able to get that into the cloud. I, I mean, that's the power of virtualization today. There should be a way for you to convert that to a VM, or if it's already a VM, just get it up into your cloud and um, connect it up with all your other dev test tools. What we see more commonly is a demand for site-to-site VPNs, so the hybrid scenario. Right. Site-to-site VPNs? Yeah. So essentially configuring not your VMs themselves, but configuring your cloud service to talk to your on-prem network. And when you do that, uh, you're creating a handshake between your cloud gateway and your on-prem gateway. When you do that, then any VM you add to your cloud service can see VMs in your local network. And how is that done? Through a, a VPN or something? Or Yeah, it's, uh, it's a site-to-site IPsec um, VPN tunnel. And it does require the organization to do some configuration on their gateway. Got it. So basically, essentially, they would have to allow traffic from the Azure data center um, if, if it's Azure or, or whatever service you're using. Mm. But once you do that, it's very powerful. And especially when we talk about enterprise line of business applications like SharePoint, um, like SQL, like Active Directory, where uh, you're not going to move your Active Directory server to the cloud, but you need um, the authentication for your web app through your Active Directory if it's in an internal web app. ADFS, that's what this is all about. When you're working with Azure, there's a whole set of tools for allowing your internal Active Directory and your on-prem site to be able to uh, speak to Azure so that your app, if your app wants, if you've got an app running in the cloud that you want to authenticate against your AD, you can do it without moving your AD into the cloud. Right. Right. Now the, the big question there is always is, is security, mm. you know, on your end, what do you have to open up to allow that? Um, the, the reason we see some organizations prefer site to site VPN is because it's encrypted and you're only opening up to the data center the traffic, whereas things like TFS, which generally is not, you know, uh, get really changed the, the perception around this. Generally, opening up your TFS to the, to the web is not a big concern, but ADFS always is, Active Directory. So where, what vulnerabilities do you create with this? But, you know, being the cloud guy that I am, I, I tend to throw those security questions um, behind me and, and plow forward with move everything to the cloud anyways. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the IT guy in me goes, no way. <laughs> yeah. This is what interests me about the testing scenario is that I'm finding that my customers aren't happy having data living in the cloud but they're willing to use the cloud, that the cloud is sort of transitory, that you light up a bunch of services, run a bunch of tests, get some results and shut it off. I can yeah. live with that. Yeah, and that's actually really interesting. If we if we put on our, our business hats for a second, 
Um, when you start talking to the CIOs uh, and the CTOs and even IT managers, directors, there is some cloud initiative and that might make them uncomfortable, but they're, but they're going to have to address that, that question. Why not cloud? You know, there's, a, if you do dev test in the cloud, mo- most of the time when people think cloud, they think production. Right. And, and there's certain cloud providers that it takes so much effort to set up your VMs that it better be production because you, 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 development is not a set it and forget, forget it type activity. It's up and down, left and right constantly. Right. Um, but if you have an initiative, what you can do is you can taste the cloud. You can, <laughs> you can take baby steps into the cloud, do your dev test and get some comfort there and then um, expand your portfolio out later or just keep, um, I mean, you know, the, one of the biggest arguments are we have, uh, uh, we have system center and we have all the hypervisors we could ever need. We have our own internal cloud and that's great, but your investment there is an investment that you want to keep running 24 seven production. And you certainly don't want your demanding developers polluting that. Um, right. And developers are demanding. I mean, they want you to open up port XYZ to do this type of thing. And um, you mentioned in, in, in Corey's, no, it was the beginning of this one about the um, dealing with sockets, um, all, this th- all this stuff that you don't want to let your developers do, right. but, but they may need to. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Oh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to stop running constant stress tests on my personal fabric. <laughs> uh, you don't want to stress your fabric. No, man. no. I've it's already stressed enough. Trust me. So, no. Of course, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before we do that, I need to tell you about Telerik Test Studio, an automated testing tool that offers a codeless and productive way to test any application, AJAX, Silverlight, WPF, MVC, Ruby, Java, Web, doesn't matter. Test Studio seamlessly integrates with Microsoft TFS to simplify the collaboration among QAs and developers. In addition, Test Studio can also interact with any other file-based source control system. Download a free 30-day trial at Telerik.com slash DNR testing and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner today, buddy? Today's winner is Blake Carter. Congratulations, Blake. Golf clap for you, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he just won a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, everything Telerik makes in one box, a $2,000 value. And before we finish here, I'm going to give away a copy of the Franklin Brothers CD, Lifeboat to Nowhere. Great summertime music. Awesome summertime music. And uh, my album, Been a While, is coming out very soon. We'll also give that away. But today's winner is Simon Futter. Ah, congratulations, Simon. Simon. Enjoy. Comes that CD. Yeah, enjoy that enjoy. CD. Enjoy. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com. Click on the big Get Free Stuff button and uh, answer a few questions. Join the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show, we give away stuff. And every December, we give away five grand. $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. We like to ask our guests, Chris, if you had $5,000 to spend on any technology, gadgets, toys, tech, what would you buy? I, it, that's, <laughs> that's a great question. You know, I, uh, it has to be, it has to be tech, has to be high tech. Well, technology, 
Doesn't have to be development technology. Could be a 3D printer, could be a camera. I, I really, I really want a 3D printer, but I, I'm struggling with the use case. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of little gadgets out there that I'd love to get. Like I'm, I'm going to get a leap motion nice. uh, tank and a Locketron and all this stuff that I know I'm only going to use for a week and then move on. But if yeah, I want a project, so what I think I would invest in is, uh, I'm going to build a, I'm going to build a complete tower out of Legos. Whoa, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Go all out with the, with Lego. Yeah. You mentioned how much Lego we're talking about with five grand. That's a lot of Lego. It is, but you almost need that much. I, I actually, um, when I get really inspired, I, I whip out the Lego designer and I start um, figuring out how I'm going to do this. And the hardest part is the uh, all the adapters, like the VGA stuff and the ports for that. Awesome. That's hilarious. That's a great. I've never heard that one before. Hey, before we uh, get back into it, I want to bring your attention to a, this really great quote about cloud testing compared to traditional testing within the corporate land at tinyurl.com slash cloud test quote uh, from an article by Alan Germansky, uh, performance expert. He says, website performance testing while simulating a load scenario where the actual traffic originates from within the corporate LAN can be compared to testing a car's performance when it's actually situated on the garage's lift. You floor the gas pedal, go into fifth gear, and easily enjoy 200 miles per hour, only the car is still on the lift and is, in fact, not moving. There's no friction on the road, no cars you need to bypass, no traffic lights, no narrow lanes, simply ideal conditions. And so there you go. That's how it goes when you God. test from within the corporate land. You don't have the firewall. You don't have the cache. You don't have the load balancer, the network equipment, the modem, the routers along the way, all that stuff. That's great. That uh, uh, quote's great. I mean, it, it also implies the the freedom and the latitude of the developer to to do whatever they, they want to, um, yeah. which is critical, I think, today. Like, I was getting back to the point where uh, consumers, even if they're internal, even if they're internal end users, they're extremely demanding because they know they can go and download an app on their Surface RT that solves the problem they're currently asking their IT department to solve. Um, so with that type of demand, the only way to figure some of this stuff out is to to test crazy things and test them quickly and then find out if it's going to work or not. Let's talk about load testing via cloud because it's it's complicated. That's you know, one of the reasons you do your load your stress testing inside your lab is so that you don't have to have an internet connection to stress test against. Like right. if I'm going to push all if I'm going to push my load generation out into the cloud, now it's got to come back at a test site somewhere. So we're going to bury that internet connection. That better not be the production connection. Like just making that test not look like a DDoS attack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which actually uh over at CloudShare and I'm sure at all the other cloud providers their their network operations team are very sensitive to the t <laughs> the anybody encouraging such such testing. Um, <laughs> but but it it you you it's really powerful especially in terms of um the load testing and getting many, many simultaneous connections to your web app. And, and it's important when you think that you're going to hit 
a huge audience. Um, and the costs around doing that, like you mentioned, it, internally is tremendous. Yeah. Even if it's selenium, you have to have the infrastructure to to really leverage the power of that, of, of having a thousand instances uh, of users um, beating it up. Or the reverse way, you want to test your web application on X number variations of browser. I mean, especially when you're doing anything with ActiveX controls um, in, in IE, uh, it requires a huge amount of testing. Yeah. Um, we just ran into a perfect example of that with Visual Studio because the the browser embedded in um, Visual Studio is essentially IE7. And that, you know, it has some limitations that you don't see in the, the modern version of the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this this is tricky. Conversely, you know, you you also want to, especially if you're building something for your corporation, mm-hmm. um, you you do want to see it, how it behaves within your network. And that's where cloud testing kind of falls, falls short um, because you're not going to replicate your local infrastructure and your local bandwidth and all the traffic through your gateway and yeah, so your forth. security rules, your right. routing, like that's hard to, you can't replicate that. Mm. Right. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what happens with, uh, uh, the TFS 2013's new functionality that allows you to do this load testing in Azure. I think that's going to be really cool. Now, my, my skepticism as being the good curmudgeon that I am, I have a feeling that um, the pricing is going to get kind of wacky because I, I know they'll give you um, some number of connections that you can test on your application. But I have a feeling once you hit a limit, it's it's going to get interesting. And I hope it doesn't become like Cal's. But um, I'm really excited for that functionality. I think it's extremely powerful. Uh, just the other day, we were talking about the fact that the mobile game developers out there are um, – and this comes into testing too. They partially release their product. You know, they 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 say that they have fifty levels, but they only le- release the first ten. And they right. wait mm. to see. They wait to see what's going to happen before they even continue the dev on the remaining forty levels. And that's it's really smart because the the more time they only want to invest time and money on a product that is getting a whole bunch in-app buys and they want to abandon everything else. In a way, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> almost stock market type um, level of activity on these applications. And for such things that you're just, you need to get it out there, you need to get out there quickly. And when it comes time to ramp it up and make changes, you also need to do that quickly as well. You have no choice but to do testing in the cloud, I think. Yeah, it's certainly compelling. There's clearly some sets of tests that make the clouds the only way, and there's clearly somewhere I think it's really you right. know hard to figure out. Right. And I don't think there's any easy answer there. I I guess the big incentive here is, you know, or maybe that's the question we've got to ask. So why do I want to test in the cloud? Maybe we should have started with this. Like, what's the real advantage that it's giving to me? Well, I think the, the biggest advantage is the one that um, people don't consider. Uh, first of all, it's, it's quantifying the time you spend on non-development activities, right? So, for example, um, I'm not paid to do email. My job is not to do email. As a matter of fact, my job 
should be pretty far from email. I'm, I'm supposed to go and connect and talk and, and really figure out what's going on in the space. And email will give me a taste of that, but it doesn't solve the problem. Yet, where am I most of the day? I'm, I'm in my email client most of the day. I'm, yep. I'm on Outlook.com and I'm, I'm checking email and I'm responding to email. So a lot of times we don't think about how much time we spend on um, planning for our work or we spend setting up to do our actual work. And that in the dev space we've found is tremendously high. Uh, we, you know, we all get a kick out of writing PowerShell scripts, but should we be doing this? Should we be thinking about VM? Should we be going to an IT manager and waiting three days to get the virtual machines only to find out they're not configured the way the developer needs them to be? It's a huge cost. And so from a business perspective, dev in the cloud allows you to give your developers control. Um, and allows them to do things that they couldn't otherwise because they have freedom to spend more time on the coding and less time on the infrastructure. From an IT manager's point of view, it's removing some variables and some risk that's being put on your production cloud. And I would argue that the production cloud and the dev test cloud are two completely different beasts. Um, Production cloud is closer to a pure infrastructure as a service type thing where you go, you set it, you forget it, and you hope that it never goes down. And sometimes you go in and you do patches too, but you're not touching the configuration very often. Whereas dev test cloud is a lot of SaaS layer, a lot of connectivity, a lot of being able to hit your web application as you would in a production scenario, but not actually be in production. And you're saying software as a service rather than platform as a service? Well, I think, it, I, yes, and you, you caught me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm speaking specifically of the infrastructure layer. Now, platform as a service feeds into this. I mean, using your SQL in Azure and your TFS in Azure and your worker roles and all the, all the stuff right. that you're, you're building. But at some point, there's infrastructure. At some point, there's a VM. And, and there's no denying that on the Microsoft stack, um, having access to a VM is more critical uh, than not. And right. I think that that's the piece where people can get caught up. Hmm. And so um, what what I believe should happen is you basically templatize it. You say, okay, this is our configuration for... Um, our application, period. And then you uh, occasionally update the template. Now you should be able to take any number of iterations of that template. And when I say template, I'm not talking individual VM. I'm talking the whole multi-tier application with all the connectivity between them, all the network state done, so that it's only the time to spin up the environment that it takes to get you to test or do the new next thing. So you can have 50 of these and if you break them, who cares, right? It's, it's, it's not another email to your IT manager for, for something else, or um, I need you to go in and do something special in system center for me um, to get up and running. But you raise a good point. I mean, there, there is a big difference between app, pure mobile and web app dev than 
what is picking up in the world of um, B2B applications, you know, line of business applications, be it BI, ERP, CRM, those types of applications, sure. which you see very heavy in large corporations. Yeah, I think the platform thing here is more like it's a set of tools that I want to be able to use to make things go faster. And I think it's the hardest piece right now. I mean, I think everybody gets infrastructure as a service. I Give me a VM. Let me do what I want. And I think generally speaking, people get software as a service, right? Here is a product I can use that I pay by the use for. But that piece in between is harder. It's more complicated. What is, and how do we actually define it? And ultimately, I think it provides the most, it provides substantial value. Like the downside to the IaaS, the, to the VM approach is you're still responsible for everything. You're still patching the OS and upgrading things and maintaining things like the, as much as you can give that up, the better off you are. Right. Right. But you see a lot of organizations building their own paths. Um, right. And, and I, and I could be oversimplifying it, but they have their own, their own instance of service XYZ that they're using in all of their applications. And in the SharePoint world, it's something that you can't avoid. Um, unless you go pure Office 365. Which has some significant limitations. Yes. And and shame on you for bringing SharePoint into a perfectly I'm decent sorry. show. Ah. <laughs> I did it. I said the <laughs> word. <I'm> guilty. <laughs> <laughs> we should do, you could do a whole show on SharePoint testing, couldn't we? Hey, I'll be there for you if you do that show. Well, let's find out from the listeners. You know, is that a show that people want? Let us know. I guess the question, yeah, that, that's a really interesting thought, Carl. Like, how much testing do we need to do for SharePoint? Well, it certainly sounds like, it, it seems to me as if it would be a different different level of testing. It's a completely different beast because um, there's two different types of applications in SharePoint. There's the pla- there's platform, and I'm using this in a different sense, where think of uh, SharePoint as a grab bag of features, and you are serving up that functionality to your organization, mm-hmm. including your developers. Um, then there's the application you build on top of those features, which is more heavy on the user acceptance testing side, where um, being able to hit your intranet or your extranet site with thousands of connections at a, a given time is important type of testing. On the platform side, it's more around the infrastructure because um, – of how many servers you have on the farm and and configuration issues. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, internal facing SharePoint sites, external facing SharePoint sites, like there's a lot of different rules in there. And, and in theory, the whole reason you're operating within that framework is so that it doesn't break. It may not do exactly what you want, but you know, you should never get the the ASP.net error message out of SharePoint. When you said there's two kinds of SharePoint apps, my immediate thought is those that are broken and those that will break. <laughs> but that that's yeah, just my no. own biases showing. Well, there. and in the in the error messages are are even worse. It's right. uh, it's uh, working on it, and then you get a GUID. I mean, it's <laughs> it's uh, they're pretty nasty. Yeah, tough to maintain and diagnose. And I think there's a lot of different apps like that that are really tough to take care of. Clearly, when you talk about, like, I can't imagine how you'd use the cloud to test a client-server app. Like, you, you need an app of a certain configuration and style that you can pull the testing out of the internal network. 
Well, no, I, I think that um, don't forget that even in the cloud, you you could have client operating systems. Sure. And you allow you could actually allow users. Um, I've seen people do some crazy things with the Wise devices. You could actually allow users to log into a, a VM in the cloud and 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 say, "Hey, I just want you to work on this VM now." Um, they wouldn't even know where where the VM actually resides. Right. Well, in theory, it doesn't matter either. Yeah. Right. Right. But, you know, it, it is interesting because while you see a huge uptick in web apps and mobile apps, you're also seeing a huge uptick in BI slash big data. Right? I, I use that lightly because um, in the Microsoft stack, it's it's not so much big data when it's SQL apps, but BI for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, self-service BI, uh, you can never get fired. And actually, you'll probably get a raise if you use the word dashboard enough times <laughs> are, are, are a huge driver right now. And for that, they're very heavy and um, they have a lot of dependencies that are not end user dependencies they are configuration dependencies. My my concern when we're starting to do push everything to cloud like that is exactly the point that Carl made with that blog post. Aren't we creating another garage and putting the car up on the lift and spinning the wheels? Yeah. Because you're now running it in hardware that's not your hardware and testing it in hardware that's not your hardware and not your, you know, like, how real is that? Well, I like the scenario for web testing where the, you know, your your websites are your websites and they may be in the cloud. Hopefully they are. But if your testing is also in the cloud, you know, assuming that they're on in different clouds, right? Like, you know, Azure to Azure or or Amazon to Amazon is less of a real a real test than one to the other. Right. Yeah. Um, and it obviously it all comes down to your application. I think what I hear you saying is, are we creating a, a modern version of the same problem, which we yeah. absolutely know is happening in the in the content world where Dropbox and box and SkyDrive are all modern versions of shared drives. You know, it's the same, same paradigm. What yeah. I, I think the focus rather in, in my advocacy of depth test in the cloud is for the developer's point of view. Um, it's how many things do you wish you could be doing or expanding into that you simply can't for X, Y, Z reason that your IT department gave you. Like, are, are there are there certain things or are you wasting time on things that you couldn't otherwise? And it's more the opportunity cost, which is a soft ROI opportunity cost. It's hard to measure. But there is a real struggle today, I think, with the developers to be as quote unquote agile as they would like to be. And they say it and, and I can't compete with those developers that just just love scripting up things. I mean, every day just love scripting up things. And even us, we came out with an API because we know that there's there's crazy things you can invent when you have have it open up to you. But still I think the developers I know rather code. And they rather focus on coding, and that's what dev test in the cloud should allow you to do. Now, I would argue if you look at AWS, it's actually opposite. You probably actually spend more time creating your environment and getting yelled at because you left a VM running and you have overage charges than than you than you should have to. <laughs> but 
So now I'm sold. I love this idea of testing the cloud. And maybe we've never done anything in the cloud before. How do you really get started with this sort of thing? Like, what's hard about working from your in purely in your internal environment to starting to use external services? I think you have to try some workload. You absolutely have to test a workload. Um, at the beginning, if it means using your Azure MSDN credits and possibly winning a car, then do it. Because <laughs> if you if if you don't, if you don't test a workload, you have no idea if there's a gain or not. I mean, you can read blog posts galore and um, watch sessions at trade shows galore where everything looks great, but you actually have to do it. And and you have to be aware of essentially your your mouse clicks. Like how much time is it taking me to get up and running with the test and measure that? And then you'll know. Um, otherwise, you're you're kind of shooting in the dark. And in, in, in my opinion, you're playing with gadgets. Yep. I like it. Hey, uh, that's just about all the time we have. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. It's very enlightening. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online pluralsite.com .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio audio mastering video post production and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.